0: You're listening to the Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, good morning, everyone. This morning, we are going to continue from two weeks ago our discussion about the Holy Spirit and we will kind of leading our way toward talking about spiritual gifts. And I got to tell you that one of the things that I've I've pondered over the past few years is the responsibility of the Christian and of the local church to be unified with the universal body of Christ. one of the things that that really, it it has troubled me, just that I've I've wondered about because um, sometimes I think, yeah, the idea of the whole universal body of Christ working together sounds like an awesome thing. But then when you actually get into what that requires, you think, oh, there's, there's just some things that I don't agree with that they do and practices that I can't be a part of. And how can we really be unified for this, this greater purpose when we have all these other things that are different, that we, we disagree on? And some of those things are important things. They're very practical things. They're things that um, change the way that we worship and who teaches and all of those things. So I thought about it this week. And one of the conclusions I, come, I came to was that um, one of the largest reasons that there is a lack of unity among local churches within communities is the Holy Spirit. And that might sound almost counterintuitive at first, because we would think that the Holy Spirit would bring everyone together. But it is the Spirit that guides us into all truth, and the, therefore the Holy Spirit that leads us to believe that those truths are valuable. And in some cases, worth separating over. That the truths that we've been led into by the Spirit, that we've been convicted of of the Spirit, are things that we now deem very important, because the Spirit has showed us. We've gone to the Word of God and seen them there, and now we hold them dear. And they're things that we don't want to give up just for the sake of the idea of unity among the whole universal body of Christ. The second reason that I think the Holy Spirit gets in the way is because it actually is over the doctrine over the, of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and the practical outworkings of spiritual gifts that a lot of the debate between churches comes. And I, I'm talking about the debate between gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches. A lot of times it is this issue that is the largest difference among these churches that in other otherwise agree about the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of the Father and the doctrine of salvation and, and many other things. And so... I say that just because I don't want this to be like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's just this divisive thing. It's not. But I think this is a topic that's important enough for us to dive into and to truly study. Because we don't want to just separate and and hold things dear that really aren't, that really aren't necessary. But we also want to ensure that we know what the Bible teaches. And that we're not just assuming that we've always known and that we always will know and that what we already believe is right. Sometimes we have to allow ourselves to, to let the scripture teach us something new. Teach us something that, that maybe we thought otherwise of beforehand. Okay? I don't go to scripture with the assumption that everything I believe is wrong. You shouldn't do that because then you're just going to be tossed to and fro all the time. But you also don't go to Scripture with assuming that everything that you believe is always right. You, will, you go to Scripture with the idea that what you've learned in Scripture in the past is true and right, but that you're open to the Scripture teaching you new things and correcting you and, and helping you just refine those truths. So that's the goal today with the Holy Spirit. This morning we will continue to discuss the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament Then we'll move on to the New Testament. We started, we finished the Old Testament last week or two weeks ago. We started into the New Testament. So we'll just kind of really briefly summarize those. We'll try and answer the question, why? Why was the Holy Spirit given? What are the spiritual gifts for? What is the purpose of all this? It's going to work a little bit like a microscope. So we're going to start looking at, you know, when you have a microscope, usually you you kind of figure out what you want to look at, and then you dial yourself in deeper and deeper and deeper. Right? You get closer and closer to the subject. And so we're starting kind of with a, this overview of the Holy Spirit and Scripture. We're moving toward, okay, what's now the purpose of the Scripture in the church? And then we'll move to what's the purpose of the, scripture, uh, of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer? And eventually we get to the point of, okay, now how do these, these spiritual gifts work in the life of the believer and, and in the church? So that's, that's what we're going to do today. By the end of today, I hope to be at the point where we're ready next week to dive full speed into spiritual gifts. That's the goal. So let's pray and then we'll get into the lesson today. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you that you're a God who um, has given us um, light, that's given us revelation in the word of God, and that you give us your spirit to help us, to guide us into all truth, to um, correct us when necessary. And God, I pray that as we study him this morning, that we would learn some things, that we would be um, encouraged that you've given us such an incredible gift of the spirit of God in our lives, And reminded of all the things that he does. And God, I pray that this would just be a time that we refine ourselves and um, we commit ourselves to being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to work through us to accomplish your will. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We saw last time that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, in the giving of life, that Joseph was able to interpret dreams and make wise decisions because of the Holy Spirit in his life, that Bezalel and others were gifted to build a tabernacle that was absolutely beautiful and incredible, that the prophets in Numbers chapter 11 were given the Spirit to deliver the Word of God to God's people, that Caleb was granted the Holy Spirit so that he would be helped in his obedience and his his ability to trust God, to have faith, and to have courage. That Balaam was given the spirit to prophecy good about Israel before Balak. That Joshua was given the spirit to lead God's people, to guide them into the promised land and to set up nation of Israel there. That the Holy Spirit was given to judges so that God could supernaturally deliver Israel after they had sinned and fallen into sin. Then they would repent and God would raise up a judge who had the spirit on them, who would deliver them from their slavery. That the Spirit was given to kings to help govern and to direct the nation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was given to protect David's life against Saul's attacks. That Isaiah was given the Spirit to preach the gospel. That the prophets were given the Spirit to speak the words of God. And as we look at all of these things, we see that the Spirit was very active in the Old Testament. Right, The Spirit is not just a New Testament character. It's not that all of a sudden this new thing came about. This, God's spirit has been working throughout the Old Testament. And if you notice, the spirit was given by God every single time that God's will needed to be accomplished through fallible man, right? All of these cases, we look at them, we say, what's happening here? God is working out his will in a supernatural way because fallible and weak men are, impo- it's impossible to do that in these situations. The spirit was necessary. I even think about the idea of, Bezalel being given the spirit to build the tabernacle. Surely within Israel, there were people like Steve and like others who are good carpenters and who were good metal workers, right? There was probably many people who had skill and ability, but God's standard wasn't man's standard. It wasn't, is it good enough? God's standard was perfection. And so even in this realm of building a tabernacle, because perfection was required, the spirit was required. And the same is true when God's words are given, when warnings are given, when, when the idea that judgment is coming, all of those things have to be perfect. They can't just be like close enough. And so the spirit is given because we are not capable of perfection, but the Holy Spirit certainly is. We saw that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given on a temporary basis to a select few. So it didn't rest on them permanently. It came on them for a time, for a purpose. And when that was accomplished, then it would, it would go and it wasn't given to everybody. It certainly wasn't given to everybody that was spiritual. There were spiritual people in the Old Testament that didn't receive the Spirit. And so that's, that's one of the marked differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, we also saw that the Holy Spirit was necessary because God is infinite and, God, and good, and mankind is finite and sinful. So let's go on to the New Testament. We looked at this first point very quickly last week in the New Testament. We saw the promise of the Holy Spirit. Did you remember the, the Holy Spirit would be given? Christ promised from John 14 to John chapter 16 was that the Spirit of truth would guide them into all truth and ultimately help them to glorify Christ. So we're trying to learn when Christ is promising the Spirit, we're trying to ascertain what is the purpose for this thing. Why is it God, that Christ is saying it's better for me to leave? And have the Spirit come than it is for me to stay with you. Why would, how could he possibly say that? What is so great about the Spirit? And what is the Spirit going to bring? What is he going to do? And one of the things he's going to do is he's going to guide us into all truth and help us to glorify Christ. He goes on and he says the Comforter will teach you, will help you to remember Christ's words, will testify of Christ, and will bring you peace. These are the works of the Spirit in the life of the church, in the life of the believer. But I think the most shocking thing that Jesus says in John chapter 16 is that the Spirit would come and abide with them forever. That this was not going to be just a temporary thing. This was not just for Peter. This was not just for James or Andrew. This was for all disciples of Christ, that the Spirit would come on them and be with them forever. What an incredible thing. What an incredible change from the Old Testament. So we see in Acts that the disciples are waiting for the coming of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them, this is Jesus commanding them, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. They had already been prepared for the task ahead of them. Christ had spent three years teaching them truth. He'd spent three years being an example to them, showing them. He'd even sent them off on their own little excursions to go preach the gospel in places and and kind of test how they're doing and, and teach them lessons as they go. He'd prepared them completely. They had already seen him dead and risen again. So they had the enthusiasm. They had the excitement. They had, from our perspective, without, without understanding the necessity of spirit, they had everything they needed to go out now and do the job. They have a plan. They have preparation. They have motivation. And yet Jesus says, wait. Don't go. Why? Because if they were to go, they would cause more harm than good without the spirit. Mm-hmm that acting in their own power would not be just less efficient. It would be counterproductive. This is incredibly important when you consider your own ministry, when you consider your own work for the Lord. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, well, I, okay, I'm not, I'm not, maybe I'm not doing this fully in the power of the Spirit, but I, I, at least I'm going to do my best. And, you know, I'm going to, yeah, if you're working in your own power, you're not just less efficient, you're counterproductive. And that's what he was saying to them. That's why he said, you need to wait. And they're sitting there chomping at the bit. What do they do for those days while they're waiting, those, those 10 days waiting? They pray because they're excited and they want the spirit to come. And they're, they're gathered together just waiting for this to happen. And so for 10 days, they wait and they wait and they wait, even though all they want to do is barge down the door and go tell people. But the spirit is necessary and it certainly is in our lives too. So they're waiting for the spirit. Number three, we have the coming of the spirit. In Acts chapter 2, you know the story well, the story of Pentecost, where the Spirit comes upon them. They, above their heads, there are tongues of flaming fire. There's this great and mighty rushing wind. And they go out and they start sharing the gospel with everyone. And during this time, it was one of the feast times, and so they would have had um, people in Jerusalem for, from all over the nation, from all over the world. I mean, all over that that portion of the world. Jews would have come and, and god fears would have come to the temple in order to offer sacrifices. So now they have all of these people who are there, just, I mean, not not knowingly ready, but ready to hear the gospel. And so they go out and they preach. And we have this incredible account of Peter's message. Now, when you think of Acts chapter 2 and you think of the Spirit, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Everybody speaking in different languages that they didn't know, or everybody speaking in tongues, right? And so when we think about Pentecost, we think that's when the Spirit made them speak in tongues. And that's true. That did happen. But don't don't think that the goal of the Spirit was to give them the ability to speak different languages. That wasn't the goal. The goal of the Spirit was to preach the gospel to all those present. Right? The goal of the Spirit was so that the Word of God would get to the hearts of, of these unbelievers. That's what the goal of the Spirit was there. And so the means was tongues in this case. Tongues made complete sense. Why? Well, first of all, it was a sign. Okay? The fact that they were able to speak in languages previously unknown to them was just an incredible sign that God was working through them that God was doing something miraculous, something incredible, that, this, that these men and these even possibly women that were there gathered in the upper room, that they were worth listening to, that they should be listening listen to. But we also see that it was a practical necessity. There were people there that didn't speak the language, or people that maybe didn't speak the language very well. And so for them to be able to speak the gospel in the dialect, not just the language, but even in the dialect of the people there, it's an incredible blessing, it's incredibly helpful because you're able to clearly communicate the gospel. And so the goal of the Spirit was that, was to clearly communicate the gospel. Peter's message here, the, the message that's empowered by the Spirit, is that there is judgment for sin, warning of consequences because of that sin, and a call to repentance and faith in the risen Christ. Other than that very last part, the call to re- the, even the call to repentance, but in faith in the risen Christ, that was the same message that was preached throughout the Old Testament by the prophets. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit has always been doing. Judgment for sin, warning of consequences, call to repentance. Okay? Call to repentance and faith in, in God that he would deliver them. Call to repentance and faith in Christ who had died and rose again to save them, to deliver them. So the Spirit is working both in the Old Testament and the New Testament essentially to do the same thing. Now, certainly worked in somewhat different ways, but was working the same way, same way, same same goal, same purpose. So, um, that is the work of the Spirit in the New Testament. Now, I'm gonna. I know that the Spirit continues to work in the New Testament, and we we have it throughout the Book of Acts. But what I want to do is I want to look at the work of the Spirit in the church specifically. Okay, so let's look at what the Spirit does in the church, And, and I'm thinking here. As Of the universal church, but also people more specifically within the local churches as a whole. so number one, we find that the spirit is um, instrumental in the giving of the Word of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we do not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first second Corinthians right we don 't have any of the New Testament we don 't have any of the Old Testament. The Spirit is responsible for those things. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And I think you could probably say and is therefore profitable because it wouldn't be profitable if it wasn't given for the inspiration of God. In 2 Peter one twenty one, it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How, was, how did the inspiration happen? Well, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was the one who gave the truth. That's why the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. Yeah, this morning, we're going to sing about that song. And I love the line in O Church Rise that is this, a, a call to war to take the sword that makes the wounded whole. Right? It's a double-edged sword, but it's it's an incredible thing. It's The the Word of God has the ability to take a dead heart and make it come alive and speak truth to it and help it see uh, all of these incredible, glorious truths that are impossible without the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit does that, and the Holy Spirit does that, um, the revelation of God, chiefly through the Word of God. Okay? How do we know anything absolutely true about God? It's in His Word. How do we know anything absolutely true about ourselves? It's in His Word. And so this is how we know truth. The second thing that the Spirit does in the church is the Spirit empowers witness. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we are told that they're waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Spirit to come. And so we're told that the Spirit is going to come and empower them to um, be witnesses of Christ, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in all Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. That's what the Spirit is come to do. And so the empowerment of witness. And I believe that When we're thinking about empowering witness, we think, okay, exactly what does that mean? Is that only speaking of, okay, fine, if I go knock on a door or talk to a stranger, then then when I do that, that's when the empowering kicks in. I don't think that's it. I think that the empowering of the witness happens every day that we live before unbelievers. I, I think it happens even in the way that we are comforted by God. In difficulty. I think that, that all of the working of the Spirit helps empower our witness. Now, does the Spirit empower witness as we speak to people? Absolutely. Absolutely, he does. But it's, it's not just, don't think of the Spirit's empowerment for your witness as like, it's only when I go witnessing. What we need to do is tr- um, transform the way we think about witnessing is, it's not just an activity that I, that I participate in, it's a, a life that I live. Right? When I go out into the public, I'm supposed to be a witness. And so at that moment, when I go out into the public, I think of the Spirit empower me to be a witness. Okay? When we look at the, the New Testament, what we see with the apostles, with the disciples, is that they didn't ju- just go on missionary journeys and, and say, I'm going to be a witness while I'm on this missionary journey because that's, that's what I do on missionary journeys. They were witnesses everywhere they went, all the time. And so when we see the story of the Apostle Paul, we see him encountering people in so many different situations, in so many different ways. Why? Because he didn't just have one method. He went out and lived his life for the cause of Christ. He lived his life and the Spirit empowered his witness. And that's why they needed, they needed the Spirit. They shouldn't go out without him. So the Holy Spirit will empower witness within the church. That will empower our church to be a good witness for the cause of Christ. Number three... The Holy Spirit gifts the church to build it and to bring it to maturity. In 1 Corinthians twelve four, it says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Okay, so the demonstration, or the outworking, or the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Who's the withal? Well, specifically in this context, it's the church, it's the body, and so the Spirit is given to build the church and to bring it to maturity. In Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven, once again we see this. Um, he says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or maturing of the saints, for the working of the ministry, and for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. So we have the spirit of God given to us as believers so that it profits the whole body. That's part of the reason when people say, I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to study God's word, I'm going to live it out, but I don't need church. What? The spirit of God inside of you for a reason. What's the reason? Well, to empower your witness, certainly, but also to build the body of Christ, to build the church. And it seems very specific here that you're supposed to be a part of that body. You're supposed to be one of those members and you're supposed to be using your gifts, the spiritual gifts that you've been given to profit everyone, to profit with all. If people would be less selfish about their spiritual gifts, we would not have all the problems that we have. The problem is we are given spiritual gifts but we also have our flesh our pride that wants everybody to know what our spiritual gifts are and wants to put them on display as often as possible okay i mean this is this is humanity god works with people like us who he gives us a gift and we use it for our own causes he gives the children of god a gift and we say Yeah, I want to do that all the time. I I want to be that guy. I want to be the one that everybody sees. I want everybody to know that I have this gift and this ability. Everybody look at me. Here's the spotlight. That's what we do. What does the spirit do? How, I mean, how often does the spirit draw attention to himself? Never. The spirit's job is to glorify Christ. And the, the gifts of the spirit are given to glorify Christ. And we glorify Christ when we build up his body. So, gifting the church to bring it to maturity, to build it. Number four, we have the, the ch- given um, to the church to seal the believer into the day of redemption. I'm going to get into that when we talk about the work of the life of the believer. But I think just, just recognizing that the spirit is here and that we're all sealed to the day of redemption. That the spirit is working in our church that way too. Um, so, what is the idea Well, part of my idea with all of that, with with what the Spirit is doing in the church, is to see once again that the Spirit did not change careers between the Testaments. He didn't all of a sudden pick up, like, go to school and get a different degree and just try a new thing. We have, um, the purpose continues to be to empower imperfect mankind to do the perfect will of an infinite God. Now, the church is, is different, right? And the coming of the Spirit upon believers permanently is different. So there are, there are some different ways that the Spirit works out his purpose in the New Testament. But ultimately, we see that in, in these things, in the fact that the, church is, the, the Holy Spirit is empowering, the Holy Spirit is giving the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is building the people of God to maturity, those things were happening in the Old Testament. So, there are differences, um, but... There's not a different career. So what is the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer? Well, the first thing that the Spirit does in the life of the believer is gives new life. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. The message seems abundantly clear. The Spirit of God gives you life, you have spiritual life, you have communication with God. Because of the Spirit of God dwelling in you, Ephesians two verse one says, "And you, at the quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins." Titus three five, not by works of righteousness which we have which we have done, but according to His mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature; old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So, when we think of this, we realize that the Spirit of God is the one that really makes all the difference. The Spirit of God is the one that that gives us life, that allows us to grow and see truth and and become more like Christ. It's the Spirit of God that's doing all of those things. When we read that last verse, and I know it doesn't say the the word spirit there, but being a new creature, we're made new by the Holy Spirit, right? We're washed and regenerated by the Spirit. And that old things are passed away and all things become new. The fact that we have the opportunity to have this, this new life, that we have this opportunity to, to have a new lifestyle, to have new behaviors, to talk different, to walk different, to be different. That's all because of the Spirit of God in us. That's because of the new life we've been given. It's unfortunate that some people who are saved still feel like they're tied to their old life. What they're doing is they're not recognizing the gift being given to them freely by God. It's not that they don't have the gift. Is that they won't recognize it, that they won't, they won't live in it. Um, the Bible tells us at times we need to reckon these truths true in our lives. So this is true, but if you, don't, if you don't grab onto it and live it, it's useless. I can pretend like I'm still um, enslaved to the same things I've always been enslaved to and, and never recognize that, that the, the, the door of the prison is open. And if, if I don't walk through the prison doors, I'm still in the prison. So the Spirit opens that door, gives us new life. The first thing that the Nicene Creed says about the Holy Spirit is, he is the Lord, the giver of life, both the giver of physical life, the giver of spiritual life, and with this new life, we have the opportunity for a new lifestyle. Number two, what the Spirit does in the life of the believer is that he convicts of sin. We see this even before salvation. In John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The part of the work of the Spirit in the world is to point out sin, to convict of sin, to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It goes on in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, the the word of God is preached by Peter. The gospel is presented. Everybody there is told very clearly by Peter that the one that you crucified is the Lord and the Messiah. He is the Savior that we've been waiting for. And so their response in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What what is it that's pricking them in the heart? What is it that's showing them that, yeah, that that sin was yours. Put the Savior to death. Woo. 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 You're going to have to explain that. The wooing of the Holy Spirit. The wooing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit convicting, the Holy Spirit pricking their hearts. The Holy Spirit showing them that what's being said there is truth, right? If you think about it, these men who are listening have every reason to reject what Peter's saying, right? Peter's never demonstrated himself to be a, a great man of courage and character in the past. He's not one of their religious leaders. He's not somebody who is really well learned and, and knows scriptures, just... I mean, they're going into the temple to see these Pharisees and these scribes and and these priests who know the Bible. I mean, they have some parts memorized. They're just, they know it like the back of their hand. They're so holy. They do everything right. And here's Peter, this fisherman who's been like pulled from his fishing trade, but he's still gruff and he's he's still Peter. And yet this, he's telling them that they killed the Messiah. Do you ever want to hear that you've done something wrong? Your first response is always, yeah, but you're this or no I didn't. It was their fault. Tara and I had an issue yesterday where it was like, No, Tara, it's your fault. <laughs> um, I don't want to tell you the story because it's really my fault. <laughs> so that's because that's our that's our response, right? Tara said tell it. Tell it. <laughs> <laughs> I told you who follow us. That's that's not it. <laughs> it's kinda her fault too though. But the spirit is convicting people of their sin and so though they have every human reason not to listen because of peter because nobody likes to be told their sin the response to the gospel is what do we need to do what what must we do to be saved i mean how how do we and that's the spirit working in their life romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I love how just the Spirit is included in on, all, on, on every part of this. Well, if you read the New Testament, you will not get away from the fact that the Spirit is, is just active. It's, a lot of times it seems like in the background, but he's just mentioned all over the place. The weakness of the flesh to keep the law. That's what was being talked about in Romans chapter 8. That, that the flesh is weak to keep the law. And yet now in the power of the Spirit and the strength of the Spirit... We can be obedient, that, that there can be a keeping of the law. I know it's not perfect, but what, was, what we were so weak to do before the Spirit, now God has given us the Spirit to empower us to do something that is impossible without him. We're also told that we can grieve the Spirit. So as the Spirit convicts us, we can grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, uh, we can tell the Spirit no. We can not listen to those, that wooing in our life. Um, we can disobey the Spirit when we are pricked to do something. I remember one time very clearly, I was a teenager and I was driving, I went to into a variety store, bought, I think, I don't know, a chocolate bar or something and and left. And I felt convicted while I was standing there that I should share the gospel with that person, the the person who is is waiting on me. And I didn't. And so I got in my car and I drove down the road and like two kilometers down the road, I just felt so much guilt because I had said, no, I, I drove back. And I think I was going to see Tara too. So this was like a big sacrifice. It was like minutes of my time with Tara. And I, I probably brought the chocolate bar for her. <laughs> and And so I drove back to the store and I shared the gospel with the guy. And the guy was a Christian. And, and, and so I, I thought... This is weird, but then I thought, like he seemed very encouraged by the fact that I would take the time, and I, I'd known this guy, I'd seen him, like I'd been he was in Lambeth, so was the the town I grew up in, so I knew this guy a, a long time before, and I finally got to share the gospel with him, and it, it felt very good. But he he convicts us, and sometimes we can grieve that. Sometimes we can quench the spirit. In First Thessalonians five nineteen, we're told that quench not the spirit, push the spirit down in your life. Don't relegate the spirit to just these certain areas. Right? Sometimes we, we like to have, we have our own pet sins, we have our own um, areas of our life that are ours. And we're just not even willing to allow the Spirit to walk in that room and go through that, that stuff and see whether it's actually good or not. Right? We have some shows, we have some music, we have some whatever it is that it's just, it's going to be ours and we're not willing to give it up. So don't even let that happen. Don't quench the Spirit. Right? Just allow the Spirit to, to be in our lives. To be in all areas of our lives, and when He woos us, when He moves us, when He teaches us something in, in God's Word, then be obedient. We are also told that we can neglect the gifting of the Spirit in First Timothy chapter four verse fourteen. And if you read the book of Timothy, First Second Timothy, you find that it seems like Timothy is a naturally shy person, a person who is timid. And he is told not to neglect the gifting. Timothy, you've been gifted by God to lead lead this church, to teach these people, to preach the word. And so don't neglect that gift that's in you. So we need to be careful not to do things either. R.A. Torrey told a story, and he asked the question before he told the story. He said, "How how many young men have said no to sin because you thought your mom might find out? And when you think about that, I mean, even when we think about raising our own kids, we want our kids to know that when they're going into a Sunday school class or when they're going into nursery or whatever it is, that we are going to ask the teachers and we're going to find out how they behaved. The idea is that if, if they know that we're going to know how they behave, maybe they'll behave better, right? Maybe they'll be a little bit fearful of consequences that they'll suffer if they misbehave. But what's funny about this is that so often we allow the fear of a person knowing what we're doing to convict us and to make us feel guilty enough not to do this wrong thing. But we don't realize that the perfect and holy spirit of God, I mean, holy is in his name, that he's in our life, that he's with us all the time, everywhere we go, every thought we have, everything we look at, all of these things, and we don't allow that to change us. We'd be terrified if we thought pastor was going to find out. But we're okay with the Holy Spirit inside of us knowing and being a part of it, bringing him there with us. That's a shame. He said, sometimes we don't do the sin because we're afraid of punishment. And sometimes we don't do the sin because we don't want to let our mother down. How much more should that be true of the Holy Spirit, the God who saved us? He said that there is one who is holier than any mother, one who is more sensitive against sin than the purest woman who ever walked this earth and who loves us as no mother has ever loved. This one dwells in our hearts. If we are really Christians and he sees every act we do by day or under the cover of night, he hears every word we utter in public or in private. He sees every thought we entertain. He beholds every fancy and imagination that is permitted even a momentary lodging in our mind. And if there is anything unholy, impure, selfish, mean, petty, unkind, harsh, unjust, or any evil act or word or thought or fancy, he is grieved by it. It would be wonderful if we would just practice the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Recognize his presence. Believe that he's there. Number three, what the Spirit does in the believer's life is that he assures us of our salvation. And I think part of this is protecting us against the enemy's false accusations. If I was to ask within this room uh, of those that know that they're saved by grace through faith, how many have ever doubted their salvation since they were saved? I think most of us would put up our hand. Because most of us go through that time where I'm just not sure. Maybe it's because we've sinned. Maybe we've wandered away from God. Maybe we're just amazed by grace so much that we can't believe it's true? I I don't know. But I I think we've all had those times of doubt. But we're told that the Spirit of God is given to assure us of our salvation. First of all, he is the seal. He is the guarantee. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So he is the earnest of our inheritance in Ephesians um, 1, verse 12 and 13. But we also have in Romans eight sixteen that he is the inner testimony of our salvation. So not only are we guaranteed, like, here's the truth. If you're saved, you are sealed. That's, that's the truth. We also have the Spirit telling us, bearing witness with our spirit. Ephesians eight sixteen: the Spirit itself bears witness to our spirit, our spirit that we are the children of God. So in those moments we doubt, we pray and we ask the, the Spirit to remind us who we are. That's what you're talking about right now the lesson Warren Wearsby preached the message on if you're saved you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you for eternity you went to hell the Holy Spirit would have to go to hell with you mm-hmm. my brother doubted his salvation and that was what triggered him into believing that uh, he's saved for eternity he can lose his salvation yeah. so it's a good doctrine anybody that says they can lose their salvation is yep a point to these scriptures that yeah, we know the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think oftentimes when we doubt our salvation, it's because we've we've allowed ourselves to wander into sin, and what happens is we feel so convicted of that sin, we wonder how is it possible that I'm that I'm really a Christian? But that is the Spirit of God working in your life, the the Spirit that never leaves, um, that that is that is grieved, and so we're grieved. That's good. Um, so we, the Spirit of God assures us of our salvation. Uh, We'll do one more. The Spirit of God enables us to understand and to apply truth. The promise in John 16 that the Spirit would guide us into all truth is seen over and over again in the New Testament. First of all, by by giving us truth, by giving us his word through the apostles, and then um, by taking those words, those truths, and applying them to our hearts. First Corinthians chapter two, the whole thing is worth reading. Uh, there's a lot of verses there that help us with this, but I'll read a couple. It says, "But God," in verse ten, "But God has revealed them unto us this, the truths by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. In other words, God is different than us. God is is." Way beyond us, we have this nature, we have this ability to comprehend within our nature. And it is the Spirit of God that needs to come to us to allow us to to understand the nature of something so different than us. Something so perfect. So any of the truth about God that we have in our hearts and in our minds is because the Spirit of God has allowed us to comprehend them. And, And without the Spirit of God in someone's heart and in someone's mind, they have no ability to comprehend that. There's no, no ability to comprehend that kind of a God. They're, they have to work within their nature, within who they are. So the Spirit of God enables us to uh, understand truth. Um, this is a process. It is not a switch. So it's not as if the Holy Spirit, you, you get saved, the Holy Spirit's now in your life, and all of a sudden, boom, you see God. You see everything. You, you just clearly, all, all truths, all mysteries are solved in your mind. This is a process, this is a, this is a journey, it's not a direct flight. You don't just get there, you go into the word. But as we go into the word, the encouraging thing is that we do know that the Spirit of God will help us. will Help us guide us into those truths, help us to understand the deep things of God, and help us understand ourselves. And so that's what the, the Spirit of God does in the believer's life. Next week, we'll finish up with the communion and fellowship that the spirit allows and then we'll get into the gifts and empowering of the spirit so thank you for coming see you